Hey, everybody. It's Allie, and welcome to our YNR chat for Sunday, October 6th. 2013. So here we are. <laughs> We've only been anticipating since like May that Carmine would die. And now here we are in October and the man is dead. Hallelujah. <laughs> I got a funny voicemail from Connor this week and his he was saying to me pretty much exactly how I felt like could this storyline possibly have gone on any longer they've been stretching it out since May that's almost six months I honestly thought that they were gonna kill Carmine back in May when he was first on his his stretch on the show after the Lauren affair but then he got away uh they brought him back for the whole gas leak slash arrest thing. And I honestly thought that he was going to die then. Now here we are in October. And finally, our clingy Carmine is down for the count. Or so it appears. Who knows? <laughs> but it's a, it's, a, it's a big night in Genoa City. It's Lauren receiving the Businesswoman of the Year Award. And she's at the athletic club preparing for the ceremony, practicing her speech. And there are security people and police swarming the entire place to keep Lauren safe because Carmine has escaped. He's out on the loose. But <laughs> no one really counted on the fact that Carmine would, who, who is a master of disguise, <laughs> would be posing as basically a hot hipster cop. <laughs> He's got on this police uniform. And by the way, it's just one of those old from the 80s police uniforms. The police in my town don't even wear blue shirts with that bill cap. They're, they have black uniforms now. He just, he looks straight out of a movie, really, or a 1980s uh, buddy cop comedy or something. But no, he's got the thick black horns rim glasses on. He might as well have been wearing those, like uh, one of those pair of uh, joke glasses that also has the big fake nose and mustache attached to it. Like, come on, nobody's going to recognize him. Give me a break. <laughs> that was, it was pure comedy, honestly. Uh, but you know, you know, something's going to happen. There's this huge build of anticipation and Lauren is inside, ready for her big moment. She's in this gorgeous dress. I mean, for this whole series of events, they styled Lauren very well. She was silver, sparkly. The back of the dress had like crisscrosses. It was like a combination of a silver sparkly um, sequin vibe with um, it also just had some plain kind of matte uh, silver on it. She just looked so amazing. Um, Michael was dressed up so proud of his wife for everything that they've been through. Now here she's finally able to have a moment of reward and enjoying in her success after everything the whole family has been through. So Lauren and Michael are connecting in this moment with one another. Fen is out of rehab for the special event. <laughs> 
So while Michael and Lauren were very concerned that uh, Fenn had actually surprised them to get out of rehab, they were concerned because they knew Carmine was on the loose. They had to tell Fenn ahead of time, "Eh, we're happy to see you, but Carmine's out there. We're also a little bit nervous and we want you to be aware. So Fenn knew that, but still... They decided, we're going to put this behind him. We feel safe. There, This place is swarming with, with hot cops. <laughs> and we're just going to enjoy this moment and be a family. So there was this happiness pre-event. And Gloria is downstairs. She's sort of, in a way, chairwomaning this event. Because she apparently received the Genoa City Businesswoman of the Year Award last year for Glowworm. Uh, which we didn't see. But she apparently won the award. And now it's her duty to pass it along to Lauren. So Gloria is sashaying through the athletic club uh, event room and making quirky little jokes and looking very Gloria, very sparkly. She was, I think, trying to upstage Lauren in her own way. (laughs) But just seeing Gloria was really cool, being there to present the the award. And so they decide to get on with this ceremony there's a crowd of people photographers other of Lauren's associates out in the crowd and Gloria introduces Lauren talking about all of the successes that Fenmore's department store has had over this past year in an economy where things are going bad Fenmore's is going good Fenmore's is up 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 and we have prepared a video reel (laughs) to show as a presentation of of just so you can see the successes of Fenmore's department store. And I'm telling you guys, it could not have been more perfectly timed. Gloria just looks over at Lauren and says, you know, without further ado, I give you the best of Lauren Fenmore. They cut to the video, and you know what video it's gonna be! It's the sex video! Lauren's sex tape is showing on this reel in front of everybody in the whole room. It is humiliating, but hilarious for the audience. (laughs) I felt so bad for her. I mean, she's feeling absolutely mortified. How is it possible that Carmine is still torturing her when she is in this environment that should be completely secure? How did this happen? And Lauren is, you know, everybody's scrambling, like, turn that off, turn it off. I mean, ugh, everyone in the room is shocked that this is what's happening. Lauren, Michael, and Fenn, and Gloria are just trying to stop the whole thing. Lauren also realizes that It doesn't matter what she does, she can't get away from Carmine. He has slipped through this steel wall of security, and he still managed to get at her. So she starts to even comment about how this reminds her of Sheila. It reminds her of never really ever being able to feel safe. And I've been making the argument for weeks that, like, is is Carmine Lauren's new Sheila? He's the one that will never go away. He's always going to escape. He's always going to come back to taunt her. But I got an awesome voicemail this week from Simone, who called into the voicemail for the first time, and it was so nice to hear a new perspective on the show, and she's she's was telling me, you know, there's no way Carmine could be the new Sheila. Carmine does not have that dark psycho factor that Sheila had. 
had, that Ricky had, and that's very true. The whole time I'm watching this, and I'm sort of reconsidering in the light of what Simone was saying, Carmine, there is something comedic almost about the way he tortures her. It's hard to take it too seriously. I mean, in every single step along the way, this storyline has been like just handled with yeah we're supposed to be taking it seriously but there's this thread of sort of funniness in there that uh, that is different from the way that Lauren felt for instance when she was being tortured by Sheila but it still was a humiliating experience Fen was humiliated this poor kid <laughs> has been through the ringer as a result of some of his own mistakes as a result of listening to Carmine's, you know, poking and prodding as a result of the problems in his parents' marriage and their decisions. Now he's gone through rehab. He's clean and sober, feeling positive about his life, and finally thinking that things are back on track with his family when this video pops up in what's supposed to be a happy moment. And now he feels destroyed. He feels ruined. Now this? Really? So Finn gets up and runs off. And we see that Finn runs off into the back alley at the athletic club where Carmine is circling. He's in disguise. He's in this cop uniform. So he feels comfortable just staying around the premises. And uh, there is sort of an implication that Finn and Carmine come into contact with one another first. The different element that we have not seen so far with this story is that now Carmine has a gun. Carmine has introduced the element of violence into the situation. It's not just that he wants to mess with Lauren. It's that he is, he's in a position where it's um, win or take all. You know, either he's going to win or he's going to die. And so we all of a sudden have a sense of this violence. Now, back inside the athletic club, Lauren is beside herself. The cops run off, and after the video happened, they realize it had to be Basco, so they're chasing their tails, trying to find where he could possibly be. They've got Lauren holed up in one of the hotel rooms upstairs with Gloria and Chloe, and they're just trying to personally secure her, make sure that she is safe. And she has her phone on her. She looks down. She has a text message from Carmine that says, I have Fen come to the alley, tell no one. Don't tell Michael, don't tell anyone. And Lauren <laughs> decides to take this into her own hands, plays right into Carmine's hands, and decides to go for it. She gives Chloe and Gloria and the cops <laughs> the slip, and she presumably runs out into the alley to try to save or rescue her son. Now, Carmine is apparently really enjoying his little texting frenzy because he's also texting and calling Michael, and he's taunting Michael. 
uh, you know, among other things, you know, I, I, I got you again. And, you know, he's saying uh, things about him and Lauren when they were having sex. She was so good. Oh, remember that night, you know, when we were having, we were having, you know, the night that we made that sex tape, she was insatiable. <laughs> he knows that that's Michael's sore spot. So Carmine is intentionally poking that sore spot. And Michael is uh, beside himself. He runs up to the room to try to find out where Lauren is. And he finds her phone and sees that message and realizes that Lauren must have gone off to try to find Carmine. Now, while he's on the phone with Carmine, I don't forget this, there is a background noise. Car- Michael's on the phone with Carmine, and you can hear Finn in the background saying, don't do this. So there is presumably some sort of altercation that's going on between Finn and Carmine, and there was, I believe, a gunshot even at that point. That's the point where we first hear the gunshot. So Michael realizes something's wrong, realizes where Lauren has gone, understands that wherever this altercation has taken place, it must be somewhere near the alley. So Michael follows them out toward the alley, and the scene that we first see is Lauren out there standing over Carmine's dead body. Carmine's just dead on the ground. No blood. (laughs) Not a single drop of blood. Uh, he, uh, no entrance or exit wound. It looked like Carmine was just laying there on the ground. He looked like he was just taking a nap. (laughs) I think there was an implication later that Carmine was shot from the back, like shot in his back. But still, there was no exit wound. I don't know. The whole thing just looked very fake to me. Just looked like he was laying there on his big beefcakey arm on his side, taking a little nappy. It just didn't, something about that whole scene didn't really seem right. But it, you know, it looks like a murder. Michael bends down, takes Carmine's pulse, immediately putting his hands on the victim, his fingerprints on the victim, and Michael says, you know, he's, I can't find a pulse. That's all he says. Not he's dead. He just says, can't find a pulse. And (laughs) obviously, you know, I'm suspicious already. But Michael grabs Lauren and he's saying, tell me what happened. Tell me you did not kill Carmine. And Lauren insists, you know, he was dead on the ground when I got here. uh, I didn't have anything to do with it, but I'm glad he's dead. There's a sense of relief. There's a brief moment of relief, like, this is finally over. Well, that's until reality kicked in. Somebody killed him. Somebody's going to have to take the rap for this. They go down, I think it was Michael, goes down to Carmine's body and starts looking around and they find, this is so stupid, you guys, they find a sober chip. (laughs) Apparently, Finn (laughs) had his sober, I don't know, they find a sober chip on Carmine's body, which obviously connects to Finn. Oh, Finn was so proud of that sober chip. So... In their mind, Finn just killed Carmine and then happened to drop his sober chip right next to him. It's the stupidest, most obvious thing in the world. I I almost can't believe it. Um, Lauren immediately freaks out. She 
connects that this means Fen must have killed Carmine. Of course, it means Fen must have killed Carmine. So we have to take the rap. We have to do something about it. We cannot let the police find out that this is what happened. We They immediately assume their son is to blame, and they start kind of going back and forth. Um, Michael is trying very hard to calm Lauren down, saying the police are going to find out. The police are going to find out. And I think Michael's wheels are turning realizing that they cannot let Fen go down for this. They have got to take the rap. And um, I, I can't believe, though, that how, how quickly it devolved into taking the rap and the assumption of Fen's guilt. Separately, Chloe and Kevin are off trying to find Fen, which is the most important thing to do. They should have just, Michael and Lauren should have just run away from the scene and gone trying to find Fen. They should have just taken the chip, acted like they knew nothing about anything, and just went to try to find Fen so that they could all get their stories straight, find out what happened. Nobody had to go down for this. Kevin and Chloe are off trying to find where Fen could have gone because that's the missing piece of this. Right now, we need to know where the heck is Fen (laughs) so we can find out what the truth is. And they go to the coffee house and Lily's there. She mentions that she saw Fen with Raven. And we all know that Raven is the bad girl that got Fen involved in drugs in the first place. So there's, again, an assumption that Fen has relapsed, that he just killed Carmine, dropped that sober chip on the ground, and then just went off and decided to go into a drug haze, which I just don't think is what happened at all, because that's what YNR wants us to think. Anyway, Michael and Lauren are still at the scene of the crime. Michael realizes he's going to take the rap for all of this. He's not going to let Fen go down. He's certainly not going to let Lauren go down. Michael is the one who would be the most likely suspect. Michael has been arrested for trying to kill Carmine or threatening Carmine with a deadly weapon before. So, of course, the police should believe that it was him. So, Michael concocts this plan. He's going to basically frame himself for Carmine's murder to save his wife and his son. He picks up the gun. He fires the gun, getting gun residue all over his hands, getting fingerprints all over the gun. He tells Lauren to erase the text message that uh, that Carmine had sent to her, um, erase the vo- any voicemails, get, make sure you erase the phones as if, by the way, anything is ever really erased. The police could so easily go back and find that text message. Just because it's erased from their phone doesn't mean it's gone out of the cyber sphere forever. It's probably still there. But the whole thing, I just keep thinking like, why, Michael? Why are you going to this extreme? Did it not even occur to you that maybe checking with Fen first before taking the rap for this might be a good thing? The cops burst in, of course, just after all of this has happened, and Michael totally confesses. He just puts it all out there, plain as day, like he killed Carmine and he enjoyed it. In fact, he even said, you know, Carmine's dead and I couldn't be more delighted. (laughs) Really, really laying it on 
Bick, which uh, Christian LeBlanc was so good. And this whole thing, everybody was so good. Christian LeBlanc was good. Um, Tracy Bergman was so good. The acting was awesome, despite the ridiculous circumstances. But Michael, why not at least play it a little bit cool? I mean, I liked the dramatic effect of him saying, you know, I did it. Of course I did it. <laughs> and I would have gotten away with it, too, if it wasn't for you kids. He was really playing up this villain aspect, but why not play it cool? Why not toe the line a little bit? Sure, I mean, even if you want to make it look like you could be a suspect, why not? Why totally confess? Why not at least keep your mouth shut until you can find out where Fen is and find out what possibly could have happened? It's so obvious, really, that Michael is lying. Um, Chavez comes in and he's questioning Michael and the fact that he's confessing to it so readily has Chavez suspicious. I don't think Chavez believed Michael one little bit and Paul arrived. I don't think Paul believed Michael one little bit, but Michael is insisting. So they haul him away. Uh, Michael is, as he's being handcuffed and escorted off the property, he's screaming to Lauren to find Fenmore, which everybody knows is the missing piece of this puzzle. (laughs) It's so crazy. What do you guys think? I don't even know what to think at this point, but this is the big question of the week. I put a poll up at yrchat.com. If you guys want to go there, vote. Tell me who killed Carmine. It is the question. I've got to know your theories. There are obvious ones. There are not so obvious ones. There are even far-stretched theories that could be the case. But go to yrchat.com. Vote in the poll. Leave me a comment. Call me. Tell me who you think killed Carmine. Because... We weren't there. It could have been Lauren. Lauren could have blacked out and done it. It certainly could have been Fen. We don't know. He was on edge. We've been theorizing, I think, for a couple of weeks that uh, that Fen seemed like he could have killed uh, Carmine. But, you know, there's also the possibility that it was a suicide. And I'm honestly, my first thought was, please, this is a suicide. The second I saw Carmine's body sleeping on the ground perfectly and peacefully, I thought, this is a suicide. There's no way any of the primary characters killed him. I mean, it's possible that... That's a thing, too. After all of this, they all they, all they had to do was claim self-defense. If Lauren or Fan or anybody else decided they wanted to shoot Carmine, all they had to do was claim self-defense. Nobody would have taken... An escaped convict's word over businesswoman of the year and her family. But no, it had to be this extreme, extreme way. So it is certainly possible that either of them did it and they'll still get off on self-defense. But my instinct said this is suicide. Carmine was trying to kill himself when he came back to town a couple of months ago when he let the gas leak off. He wanted to die with Lauren. So I would not be at all surprised if Carmine killed himself out of desperation or wanting to frame them. Uh, So I, I don't know. That was my instinct. But you know what? There is still entirely this other possibility that Carmine is not even dead. 
Again, no bullet wounds. I saw no blood, nothing. He could have taken some kind of pill to make it look like he was dead. He's mob-connected. He's always been mob-connected. He could have definitely done something just to make it look like he was dying to let these people take the fall for it. I mean, I guess it's just, maybe that's my suspicious brain after many, many years of watching soaks, but to me, his dead corpse, dead corpses mean nothing in this town. The fall of the house of Newman. Ooh. <laughs> you know I love business drama. That's my favorite kind of drama that we could possibly have. And Victor has successfully tanked his own company just so Adam and Jack can't have it. It is the equivalent of a child breaking a toy just so nobody else could play with it. <laughs> Ooh, boy. Well, now Jack is broke. Jack made this huge investment in Newman Enterprises to help Adam, and now that the company is tanking, the stock is tanking, it's a complete mess, Jack has lost all of that money that he's invested. And there was this wonderful scene at the beginning of the week between Jack and Billy, where Billy comes rocking on into Jack's living room and reveals, you know, that he knows Exactly, that he's the one that's behind Fishhook Capital, and he calls Jack out. I know this is you. Why did you do it? Why would you invest all this money only to lose it just to help Adam? Since when are you guys friends? And Billy even brought up the fact that Jack had framed uh, Adam, or, or Jack let Adam take the fall for that fake diary that was written for Victor. So Jack and Adam have not always been friends, and now all of a sudden they're is a kinship there, so much so that Jack would make this monumental investment. So I enjoyed seeing Billy calling Jack out, but what I enjoyed more was Jack's response. There is this wonderful correlation between Jack's own feelings of disappointing his father and which explains why he felt compelled toward helping Adam to repair his relationship with Victor. And I just thought that was so, just wonderful. Jack said, I understand the need to make a father proud, and I also understand what it is to screw up my father's legacy. Ooh, which is something that's very, very at Jack's core. Jack is the one that convinced John to take Chabot public, which allowed Victor to come in and take their family's business away from them. And Jack has never forgiven himself for that. So it was a really interesting correlation to understand that that was Jack's motivation for helping Adam to not repeat that same mistake. But I, I loved Billy being there on the other side, saying comparing John Abbott and Victor Newman is impossible. John Abbott was a man of honor, and Victor Newman would just assume eat anyone in his family than lose. So uh, I liked that Billy was in there presenting the other side of the situation, but it, it was a really good scene, and I have been enjoying that relationship with Billy and Jack, you know, being brothers and bonding over their father even more than I've enjoyed the relationship with Jack and Adam, which I am also thinking is kind of cool. So... 
now that the company is destroyed, Adam and Jack are over a barrel. They're against a wall. They don't really have a whole lot of choice. Uh, certainly, they can try to build the company back up, but it's almost looking like it's a lost cause. And everything has gone exactly according to Victor's plan. He decides to call another meeting with Jack and Adam. They meet at, at Adam's penthouse, and Victor comes in and announces he would like to buy Newman Enterprises from them. I'm sure for pennies on the dollar. He destroyed the company and now he says, well, I guess I could take it back from you. Here's here's my offer. And Victor definitely offers them, I'm sure, less than what the company, or maybe more, maybe more than what it's worth now, but less than it could be worth. Victor totally, totally one up to these guys. They really thought they had it over him. I assume they had it over him, but he, Victor pulled one out of his back pocket. He had an ace in there, and I gotta hand it to him for winning, really. The guys didn't want to take the offer at first, or they wanted to talk about it. Victor left, and Adam and Jack had a conversation about it, and Jack just advised Adam, take the money and run. You don't need Newman Enterprises. You can certainly build something that's all of your own, and Adam agreed. Why spend all of this time trying to repair Newman Enterprises when what you really wanted to do was repair your relationship with your father, and that is impossible now. So Adam decided to take the deal. Um, He's out at Newman Enterprises, and Victor is back in. Jack goes to Victor to tell him that they've decided they're going to accept the offer, and there was again a wonderful... (laughs) scene between Jack and Victor, and uh, Gina had called into my voicemail this past week and just really mentioned this dynamic between Victor and Jack is dynamite. It is the essence of the show for me. The Jack-Victor rivalry is so beautiful. I've been loving seeing them going at each other again. It's really um, been nice and refreshing, and that seems to me like the fundamental, the foundation that the show was built on, so I do enjoy that, and so they sit down, and they're quipping back and forth, and uh, Jack is very quick to Come down on Victor for the fact that, hey, you know, you may have just gotten your company back. Congratulations, but you also just lost your son. You're a horrible father. You're going to end up being a lonely old man. And Victor comes back at Jack and points out, you know, there's a very distinct difference between you and I. I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth. I didn't have everything handed to me. I was raised in an orphanage, and I made myself up out of that. I rose up out of those ashes, which I think is just, I love that story. It is the American dream, isn't it? So I always love Victor kind of bringing that up and and being able to relate back to the fact that Victor kind of is who he is because he was abandoned and uh, he needed to make himself successful to compensate for that, I think. So that was just a really good uh, dynamic between Jack and Victor, another good fight. And Jack kind of left it on a note of saying, you just destroyed your legacy in order to punish your son. Well done. And he kind of leaves. But, you know, I have to say, I, I don't see Adam as the victim here. I think that... Adam is every bit as strong as Victor. Adam wasn't born with a silver spoon in his mouth. Adam came from very humble beginnings and in many ways similar 
to Victor's upbringing. He wasn't an orphan, but um, you know he had a hard time living with a, a blind mother. She gave him love, absolutely, but he had to want for things. He had to earn everything he had. He went to Harvard on a scholarship. So I don't see Adam as the victim. I think Adam is a very strong man. I think he is his father's son, and I think that he is perfectly capable of recovering from this and competing with Victor on, on any stage that Victor wants to present. So Jack just ends up kind of putting that seed in Victor's head. He accepts the offer on their behalf and walks out and Victor was gloating. He was very, very happy that he won. Uh, although it, it did feel like a hollow victory. It, Jack and Adam just sort of went down on that front without very much of a, 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 went out with kind of a whimper. They didn't really have to fight. They didn't decide to come up with an alternate plan. They just sort of decided to give in and, and build something else. Jack certainly doesn't need Victor's company or anything having to do with Victor. It doesn't sound like he wanted that in the first place. He didn't want to get into another spar with Victor, or so he says. But Adam doesn't need it either. He's got a family to focus on. So if Victor wants to have Newman Enterprises and Chancellor Industries, he can have them. And he does. And he's choosing now to merge the two companies. I'm scared to know what that's going to be like. I, I wanted Chancellor to continue to exist as its own entity, but it sounds like now Victor's going to fold Chancellor into Newman, which is, I don't know, that's a little scary for me. I, I want Chancellor to still have a presence on the show. I think that's Catherine's legacy, and that would be a good way to continue to honor it, but it just doesn't seem like, I mean, Victor's like, he's just like ready to consume every other company. He That's what he does. Uh, that's what they do. That's what Newman Enterprises does, right? I mean, that's the, what the, the, their business is. Don't they consolidate companies and fold them in? That's, that's what they do. Um, Victor ends up summoning Kane. Since Kane is the CEO of Chancellor Industries, Victor wants to talk to him. And so Kane comes out to the ranch. I actually really enjoyed seeing Kane and Victor together for a little bit. We don't see very many scenes with them together. So it was something a little bit different. And Victor promises that Kane will have a power pull position at the new entity. He calls the new company the new entity, which I'm scared. I'm just, I'm scared of what this new entity is going to mean. I don't like change in some ways. I don't like change. But Victor says, Kane's still going to have a position there. Don't be afraid. Well, Catherine left Kane to be the CEO. So I don't see how Victor is even really able to legally make this merger. Wasn't it part of Catherine's will that Kane remain on? And now all of a sudden Victor's folding it in and Kane doesn't really have a place. We all know Victor's not going to make Kane the CEO of his company. Victor respects Catherine, respects Kane, but he is not going to give him the keys to the whole kingdom. So Kane tries to play a little bit of hardball with Victor and says, look, it's either CEO or bust for me. Either you let me have the position that I was promised by Catherine or I'm just going to quit. So Victor, I think, kind of thought about it, respect, you know, respected Kane a little bit, but that scene cut away, and the next thing we know, Kane is meeting up with Lily at the coffee house, and he's so excited, and he's, you know, she's like, well, your meeting with Victor must have gone very well, you seem so happy, and he is, he's feeling really positive about everything, and then reveals that he quit. He decided to leave the company, so he's out. I have no idea what 
on earth Victor's going to do, he still seems to have Noah in mind for something. And during that conversation that Victor had with Kane, he mentioned, well, you used to be a bartender and you worked your way on up. And doesn't that sound a little bit like where Noah is right now? Victor was meeting with Noah. Nick ended up kind of sitting down in the middle of their meeting and getting up in it and warning Noah not to get involved in the business. But I don't know. I'm wondering if Victor is going to start training Noah to become the CEO. He needs a new heir apparent. Nick doesn't want it. Adam did not meet Victor's expectations. So maybe Noah is going to be the new heir, new heir, apparent, uh, new heir apparent. It's certainly not going to be Kane. Kane is super excited about... I don't know what. I mean, now that Victor's merged the two companies, he's pretty much owns the only game in town except for Jabot. So unless there are any job openings at, at Jabot, I think Kane might have to go back to bartending. Chelsea is having lunch with Chloe this week, and she's lamenting her situation, saying... Adam wants to own Connor. Dylan just wanted to love him. I mean, that's a very dramatic sentence. It's good writing, but I don't think that's true. I don't think Chelsea gave Adam the opportunity to love Connor. Of course, at this point, Adam is focused on, quote unquote, ownership. <laughs> Chelsea's tried to keep him away from his son. So I just, I know there's, there are definitely some Chelsea fans out there. I got a good voicemail from Anna this week saying that she really wants Adam and Chelsea to get back together. I just am not, for some reason, able to get on board with the Chelsea pity party. Um, she, she, Definitely seems to be making some strides toward becoming at least a more honest person. Uh, during their lunch together, Chloe and Chelsea are talking about her whole situation. And <laughs> Chelsea, by the way, reveals that she's staying with Adam and Chloe blows up. She's not happy about it. As if Chloe's her mother or something. She has to get permission. Like, as if. Chelsea has to ask permission on what to do with her life from Chloe. I mean, as soon as Chloe, or as soon as Chloe finds out that Chelsea's staying with Adam, she pretty much tries to put her foot down, saying, no, 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 you're not going to do that. Here's what you need to do. Just let Adam take you to court and pretend that you really thought Dylan was the father. And to Chelsea's credit, she told Chloe, no. No more lies. I'm tired of this. I'm not going to drag Dylan through court and have him be subpoenaed to deal with this whole paternity issue. I don't want to do that to him. I'm tired of lying. I don't want to go back through it again myself. So that's at least one good thing that she's done lately. Uh, Chelsea still wants Dylan. She still wants to have a relationship with him. And I say go for it. <laughs> have him. You can have him. <laughs> I mean, it's like... It's too bad for her. She's stuck living in the lap of luxury in Adam's penthouse in a clean house with anything and everything she could possibly want. And, oh yeah, by the way, her sexy ex-husband, successful and totally doting upon the baby and would be doting upon her if she would open her heart up a little bit. Oh, how horrible. I feel so horrible for you, Chelsea. <laughs> but the truth is, she doesn't... I, I think she loved Adam. 
but her heart is with Dylan now. Dylan ended up showing up at the penthouse this week, and Adam was about ready to call security, for with good reason. Uh, Dylan is definitely seen as a danger now. He, is, he used to be the sweet, sweet, perfect, all-American guy, and now he is tainted. He has this problem, this PTSD that seems like it can flare up really at any minute. That sounds like an STD or something. <laughs> if your PTSD is flaring up, call your doctor. We may have a prescription for that. <laughs> but no, he he could mentally snap at any moment. You never really know. So there was this scene where Adam is like, I've got security right out in the hall. If you try anything, I'm going to have you hauled out of here and have your butt dragged into jail. But Dylan just wants to talk to Chelsea. So Adam goes upstairs with the baby and he, Dylan and and, uh, Chelsea have a moment together. And I think, um, Dylan was drunk, for one thing, and Chelsea is hurting, and he pulls out of his pocket this lucky charm that apparently she had given to him, and this is something he wanted to give back to her. Did I miss when Chelsea gave him this lucky charm? I didn't, uh, like, okay, did I miss that? Because I don't remember this lucky charm. It's like a four-leaf clover in some, um... I don't know, it's a resin or something, I think it was. It was a little bobble. I don't remember her ever giving it to him, but he made a point to come there just to give it back to her, which I thought was interesting because as soon as he walked in the door and said he wanted to talk to Chelsea, I thought Dylan was going to ask for a divorce, not return some inconsequential bobble, which which tells me he really just wanted to see her. He really still loves her her too. And there was this moment where you could tell the love between them hadn't gone away, but the situation had changed. And I think that in Chelsea's uh, defense, or in in an effort of me to connect with Chelsea on some level, I think that Chelsea has not escaped scot-free. It may seem that everything sort of worked out and she's not really getting a punishment, but I think her punishment, well, aside from the fact that her child went blind because of her and her negligence, Chelsea <laughs> lost something important to her, Dylan. I think Dylan was someone who she felt loved her purely, loved her completely, and would love her forever, and she screwed it up. And so that's her punishment to live with, among other things. So Dylan hasn't really pursued the divorce thing yet, which I'm a little surprised about, but he is insisting that he wants to leave town. He offers Stitch's apartment, probably looking around to sell the coffee house. He wants out, which, again, Connor left me a voicemail this week that said what I was thinking, too. It is irritating that every single time something goes wrong in Dylan's world, he just wants to leave. He just wants to run away, which feels almost inconsistent with his character. He seems like a sort of stay- I want to stay with it sort of guy. And every time something with his world gets rocked, he's ready to run away again, which is not very brave. It's not very brave soldier-like, which we kind of have come to expect from him. He is a flawed character. Um, Now, Chelsea decided to write a letter to Dylan, which I thought, finally, it didn't seem like last week she was doing a whole lot to try to help her husband. Now she writes him a letter, and it was all, I'm sorry, I miss you, I love you, blah, 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 blah. (laughs) 
<laughs> As if she truly believes they can still go on to just have this happy family together, which you and I both know is not going to happen. Dylan ends up reading the letter, gets hurt from it, crumples it up, throws it away. I think it's pretty easy to guess that his his he's going to end up back together with Avery. Uh, Avery returns a necklace to Dylan that he had left at her ha- apartment when he was there. And they have this moment together where they're both kind of confirming that they're not going to get back together with their significant others. Avery says, I'm not getting back together with Nick. He says, I'm not getting back together with Chelsea. But it's, I think, clear that Dylan and Avery are going to get back together. And probably much to my chagrin, it seems Adam and Chelsea are on the road to getting back together. Connor is sick. He has a fever. So Adam and Chelsea rush him to the hospital. And I'm sure next week we'll find out what's wrong with the child. Um, It seems like the situation might be dire. And again, I just think that we're on the road to Adam and Chelsea reconnecting. Where we left off last week, Nick and Dylan were sitting on a park bench separately drinking, and I thought this is definitely going to escalate into a fight, but it was surprisingly similar. Nick and Dylan realize they're both down in the dumps, and they decide to have a conversation, and then things started to get heated. It was nice at first, and then slowly those niceties started melting away, and Nick accuses Dylan of Still being in love with Avery and furthermore trying to do everything that he could do to try to bring them apart, which I think was true at first. Dylan had intentions of wanting to marry Avery when he came back into town, but I think that when Avery made it clear that she was choosing Nick, I do believe that Dylan backed off and I don't think he tried to destroy their relationship on purpose. That was never a vibe that I got from Dylan, but that's not how Nick sees it. All Nick sees is his pain and his rage and frankly Nick was looking for a fight they both of these guys stand up they're kind of puffing up and saying things back and forth to each other and Nick pushed Dylan and so Dylan just hauled off and punched him which I thought Nick totally deserved I'm surprised that Nick didn't really fight back he didn't it seemed like Nick just sort of took the punch and then just took it. I don't know. I mean, maybe he just wanted to walk around looking sexy with his black eye for a couple of days. But I, or maybe Nick just wanted to have some physical pain to go along with his mental anguish. I'm not sure. But Avery saw Nick later. Gosh, they've been hanging out at that park a lot. Gary called in, left a message on my voicemail this week and said, they are really, they need to come up with some different backdrops for that park. I love the park, but man, they just, Y&R just gets a new set and they they ram it into the ground. It's the only place we ever go. They should try to film that park from maybe a couple different angles or something. I love the idea of Chancellor Park, but geez, we're there like 15 times a week and it's always the same. Geez, man, I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, every sees Nick at the park. He's been going there quite a bit to brood. And she notices that he has a black eye and he lies about it. 
she is like, I'm sorry, you feel like you can't be honest with me. Did you get in a fight with Dylan? And Nick didn't want to talk about it. He feels bitter. He feels betrayed by her. And Avery feels guilty. She didn't do it on purpose, I don't think. But it, the result is the same. The really interesting thing that happened this week was that Avery goes to Georgia to visit Phyllis. We've got this Phyllis double thing going on, which I, I'm loving. I think that the fact that YNR has to keep doubling Phyllis, it shows that what an important part of the canvas she is. Phyllis is a key piece here. So we're seeing the back of Phyllis's head, Phyllis's hands, and Avery is just pouring her heart out to her sister saying, wake up, wake up and tell me that I got everything that I deserved. Because Avery did the one thing that Phyllis told her not to do. I think it was the very last scene that Avery and Phyllis shared together before Phyllis's quote unquote accident. Um, Phyllis had said, you know, fine, you can have him, but don't hurt him. You know, take care of him, love him. And that was the one thing that Avery didn't do. And I know that she feels guilty about that. I know that she feels that she needs her sister. All of this stuff is going on around their family, and Phyllis isn't there for it. Summer is a wreck. Sharon is totally out of control. And Avery feels like she can't handle it. She's pouring her heart out to Phyllis, saying, Wake up! I need you to help me fix this. Wake up! And Phyllis is unresponsive until <laughs> Avery walks away and we see this close-up scene of a finger twitching on Phyllis. I love it so much. I uh, can't help thinking, is YNR toying with us? Are they just doing this just to give us a little bit of hope that maybe Phyllis might come back? Or, I mean, is there any possibility that Michelle Stafford leaving the show was some kind of publicity stunt or some kind of stunt because YNR has always said they don't comment on the actor's contract statuses. Would it not be amazing if Michelle Stafford just came back and we were all just <gasps> gasped, you know, can't believe it, and, you know, they really kept that one under wraps? That would be a genius thing. There was this, oh, they made such a huge deal about Michelle Stafford leaving the show. She's gone on to do other projects. And then if they were like, no, boom, it was a publicity stunt. She's back. <laughs> That would be kind of rad, right? I think. I mean, and if that's not the case, I am really feeling open to a recast. If they recast it right, I'm I'm open to it because I think that Phyllis is the missing connector here. She's the missing piece. It needs to happen. It's like Phyllis needs to come back and clean house, especially with Sharon. Sharon is totally despondent. She has gone through all of these hoops to try to get back with Nick and it's not working. The, the truth about Summer's paternity, the real truth, needs to be revealed. We need to get on that YNR. And if recasting Phyllis is what needs to happen to get that truth back out there, we need to do it. Nick needs to be reunited with his daughter. Thank you. End of story. <laughs> But Sharon is feeling like she's failed. Everything that she's done, everything with Phyllis even, is all for nothing. And Nick is pushing her away. He doesn't want her up in his business. He's trying to get over his love for Avery. He's not looking to just hop on to another woman. And Sharon has no patience. 
whatsoever. She's not taking no for an answer. She just feels like she has to adjust her technique a little bit. Oh, well, then maybe she just needs to be a little more subtle with trying to get back together with Nick. So that's her plan. Faith, who is constantly being used by her mother, makes this collage. And again, I don't even know if Faith made it. Sharon could have gotten out glue sticks and pictures and made this whole collage all on her own because it was pictures of Faith, pictures of Sharon and Nick together, and it was clearly this dream board of Faith's family getting back together, which is very natural for a child to want her parents to be together, but Sharon is exploiting it to the max. This collage shows up at Nick's apartment and Nick, or Nick's house, and Nick confirms Sharon with it and says, look, we need to put a stop to this. We can't let this continue to go on. And Sharon's given lip service saying, oh, I agree. I'll talk to Faith. Sharon looked amazing, though, by the way. There was that scene at the coffee house when they were talking about this collage and Sharon's wearing this gorgeous white jacket, gorgeous white top, and there was this skinny black tie that she had on over it. It was so cute. She always has great jewelry, great accessories. I just like Sharon Case. I think she always looks interesting. She always looks amazing. But anyway, she's totally up on Nick. Every single chance that she gets, she tells Nick she's going to talk to Faith, and they part. Next thing you know, Nick's coming home. Sharon's waiting in his house for him to tell him that she has talked to Faith, and she really feels like she got through this time. Sharon has gone full-on stalker here. Victor was at the athletic club the same time that Chelsea was at the athletic club this week. And Victor, he actually had two run-ins with Chelsea this week. Once at the athletic club and once uh, when he went to see Adam, Chelsea was in the hallway. They ran into each other outside uh, the penthouse door. And Victor is really laying into Chelsea pretty hardcore. And Chelsea is really resistant. It's almost kind of makes more sense about her not wanting her child to be in Adam's life because it's not even just that she has to deal with Adam. She has to deal with Adam's father. And Victor Newman is someone who incites fear, I believe. Um, Chelsea made a comment to Victor saying, you know, I know you're here. You want to just anoint this child a Newman. And it does feel that way. It feels like Victor is the godfather in that way. And he now wants to claim ownership. If anyone's trying to claim ownership, it's Victor. He knows this is his grandchild. He knows this is one of his legs. Legacies, and he's definitely taking it personally to want to become into this child's life. And I think that even though the battle over Newman Enterprises between Adam and Victor is over, I'm wondering if the battleground is now going to become Connor, if they're actually going to start to uh, go to town over being able to see this child and be part of this child's life. But it was very interesting the way Victor was laying into Chelsea saying, you know, you... You, you, you're basically you're a bad mother. You're the same, you're the same con I hired to seduce Billy Abbott, that son of a bitch. <laughs> I know who you are. You're a con. I'm the one that hired you. I'm the one that brought you into town. Victor's the one that brought her in. Um, and now all of a sudden he's looking out for Adam's son's best interest, which. I don't really believe his motives are pure, but he really laid into Chelsea, even about abandoning Johnny, really saying, you know, you don't didn't care about that kid. What makes you think you're going to care about this kid? And while he is 
degrading her, Nikki comes up in the background and she jumps to Chelsea's defense. Like, kind of obvious that Nikki's hiding something. Nikki is clearly going through something. She's clearly hiding it from Victor, and Victor is clueless at this point. Um, it got me thinking, though. One thing... I, I kind of forgot. Actually, Patricia called in and left me a voicemail this week and mentioned about how, how you know, Victor's making this big deal about Chelsea keeping the paternity of the child away from the Newman family. But Victoria did the same thing. Victoria also knew that Adam's son was a Newman, and that has not come back around full circle to her. How's Victor going to feel when he finds out that Victoria knew there was a Newman heir and kept it from everyone? How's Adam going to feel when they find out about Victoria? So there's been absolutely no reaction from Victoria about the truth coming out about this child's paternity, which I think is weird, and Wyander needs to address that ASAP. So anyway... Nikki is protesting too much. She obviously is hiding something. She ends up going to the doctor this week. That's right, Dr. Sex is back. (laughs) She's worried that she's having a flare-up of her MS, so she goes to see the sexy, sexy doctor, who I think would just... They need to bring him on permanently and make him a match for somebody. Jill uh, would be good, or I don't know, somebody. Bring this guy on. Give him a lady. I like him. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, she's having this consultation with the doctor. And what do you know? Who's doing residence at the hospital? Stitch. So Stitch comes in and he's helping the doctor and talking with Nikki. And Nikki and Stitch hit it off right away. They become fast friends pretty much immediately, which you can't help but think um, Stitch is her son. It's they almost look alike. It's ridiculous. I could see Stitch being Nikki's son, but Gary left me a voicemail this week and reminded me it could be a red herring. It certainly could be that, you know, all is not what it seems. It seems almost too obvious that Nikki and Stitch are getting along so well. It seems too obvious that he would end up being her son. So I almost wonder if maybe Stitch is going to end up as a conduit toward uh, Nikki finding out that Dylan is her son. It's it's one of them. If it's not Stitch, it's Dylan. If it's not Dylan, it's Stitch. So it seems like one of these guys is going to turn out to be Nikki's son. Paul is not giving up. He has a hunch that, you know, something wasn't right with those adoption records. Uh, So he goes to visit this other Penelope's sister. He thinks that the Penelope that the nun remembered was not the right Penelope. So he goes to this other Penelope's sister and learns that this other Penelope did adopt a child, but she passed it off as if it were her own on her husband. So... How many, like, it's almost like the only thing that these writers know how to do is paternity stuff. How, like, every time there's some weird weird woman hiding paternity of child from men, it just, it drives me nuts. So this person hid the, adopted a baby and then told her husband that this was her kid or their kid or, I don't even know. Based out a little bit. But it's just like, how many paternity things do we need to have going on at one time? I mean, seriously, you guys, it's kind of getting to be ridiculous. But anyway, the point is, 
The woman who actually adopted the child is dead. Her husband is dead. The sister of the woman knows that the son is alive, has limited information about him, knows that he was in the military. Hmm. (laughs) Doesn't have any pictures of him, but we're narrowing down on this. Um... It's either Dylan or Stitch, but I don't know which. Dylan or Stitch, but I don't know which. (laughs) Um, I imagine that this mystery will continue into next week. Nikki, at this point, doesn't even know that there's anything more to the story. She still thinks that her child died tragically at age seven. But Paul has been trying to get a hold of her to tell her the truth. She hasn't really been receptive. She's been, they've been missing each other, playing phone tag, and... She finally decides, you know what, if there is more to the story, I want to know it. She makes a phone call to Paul out in the middle of the living room at the ranch while Victor is lurking in the background. And he hears her say on the phone, tell me what you know about my son. I think that Victor is now, he's been suspicious of Nikki, that something's going on with her. He didn't know what, but now he kind of knows what it is. I think maybe he's going to keep this one under his hat and not confront her right away. Uh, Because we know from the previews for next week's show, Nikki is going to learn next week that her child is still alive. Yeah, Nikki's child is still alive and probably right up under her nose. (laughs) Now, Nikki's other children. (laughs) Victoria. Let's talk about Victoria because Victoria and Billy are very sexy lately. It's like they are essentially YNR's filler smut. It's not major storyline, but here and there, Billy and Victoria are just getting it on. (laughs) It's kind of great. I enjoy a little sexy break from the drama. I think that Victoria is very insecure, and that's why she's being very seductive lately. Every time we turn around, she's got some new piece of lingerie, and she's going to surprise and tantalize Billy with it, and she's always, even like when she's out of the lingerie, she's looking more sexy lately. Are you noticing that? She's got like dark, smoky eyes, and she's wearing this off-one-shoulder sweater and she's just looking like a sex pot lately more so than Victoria usually does she usually comes off as kind of nerdy or in the past she was doing that 1950s 40s thing but now she's giving me sex pot I'm kind of loving it I really think it's that she's trying to hold on to her man there was a scene this week where um Chloe comes over and Delia's there too and she's Delia knows that Chloe is lonely and so she's kind of trying to get Chloe to get back together with Kevin saying you know you're not happy lately you were happier with Kevin and I mean what an example Chloe must set for her child I I, that's just a tangent but sometimes I think about her and all of the advice that she's given to Chelsea and what on earth must is Dilly going to turn out to be like, really? She's so down on Kevin for everything that he did with the lying and the stealing. And look at what she's doing. It's not a whole lot better. Um, but anyway, Victoria here overhears this, realizes that Chloe's still missing Kevin. And so Victoria tries to encourage Chloe to forgive and return to her man. Um, Chloe 
basically, you know, freaked out about Kevin and his stealing, and that was what led to the end of their relationship. Again, what about Chelsea? What about Chloe's total unethical advice to Chelsea? I can't believe it, and I can't believe that it seems like Chloe and Kevin are getting back together again. Victoria tries to push her in that direction, even comparing, like, Billy's gambling with Kevin's stealing, and, oh, well, I forgave Billy for his gambling, so surely you can forgive Kevin for his stealing. Well, you know, Victoria and Billy are on this week, so apparently she's qualified to give relationship advice. I wouldn't advise Chloe to go back to Kevin. It wasn't that he lied once. He lied repeatedly. And frankly, I think that Victoria is just trying to keep Chloe away from her man. Send her back to Kevin or whoever. Just keep her away from my man because I wouldn't be surprised if Chloe slept with Billy eventually. Or maybe maybe we're headed toward a triangle between Chloe and Kevin and Chavez. I mean, I think that would be quirky and interesting um I it just I, I I feel like Chloe and Kevin need to be done um Chloe ends up calling Kevin this week taking everyone's advice and calling him uh, for a date she wants to go with him to Lauren's businesswoman of the year award ceremony and she actually in the aftermath of everything that happened with karma and Chloe and Kevin are sitting around at the athletic club and she made some kind of comment And she was talking about Lauren, but it was obviously applicable to her, where she said, one mistake should not destroy a family. Well, again, it wasn't just one mistake. Kevin and Chloe had many, many mistakes. And I don't know. I'm just going to be disappointed if they just end up getting back together, for crying out loud. Now, um, okay, I got to sidetrack a little bit here because... Uh, I got a voicemail from Patricia who mentioned this internet rumor that's going around. And I had seen it before, but I'm kind of just hoping it'll go away. But I figure I should inform you. (laughs) There is a rumor on the internet that YNR is going to kill Jillia. (laughs) I just, I have seen it pop up here and there, and I just keep hoping. Please don't let that be true. Patricia actually filled in some of the extra blanks for me that I had not heard. Here is the theory of what's going to happen. That... We, uh, the theory is that Neil is going to relapse, get drunk, get into a car, drive, run over Delia, kill Delia, and then Adam's son is going to get Delia's eyes. Oh my gosh, please, that is so horrible. I, I mean, I heard the killing Delia thing. I did not hear the rest of it. That is, it's so dark and it's so horrible. And I really hope that YNR is not headed in that direction. Come on, YNR, please stop killing the children. Neil goes to visit Hillary in her hotel room this week. And where last week when they confronted at the, at the park, Hillary was a little wishy-washy. She didn't really say everything. She didn't reveal her whole identity. But Neil comes to her this week, and she pretty much admits entirely that she's Ann Turner and that her, you know, Neil was, she feels slighted because Neil was involved in her mother's death or didn't help her mother. Uh, She admits that she, you know, did the blog post. She talks about pretty much everything. It was a very open and frank conversation. And 
Neil just tries to appeal to her sense of humanity and asks her to leave his family alone. Please leave my family alone. I'm sorry about what happened to your mother, but torturing me is not going to bring her back. It's not going to make anything better. And I had a moment of really connecting with Hillary and feeling bad for her. She starts crying about the loss of her mother, and I thought, well... You know, she is a human being. She's a human being who's lost her mother, who was the most important person in her life. Hillary talked about the moment that she um, realized or that, that someone called her and informed her that her mother had died, and I felt really bad for her. Um, and then she offered Neil a drink. <laughs> she gives him a glass of orange juice, and it first seemed like such a nice gesture, like, let's just put this crap aside. Let's just have a drink. Let's just talk this all out. It seemed like some progress was being made until Neil takes a drink of it and realizes there's liquor in the drink. She's spiked his drink. I mean, last week she put Rufy in Kane's wine. This week, liquor in Neil's orange juice. Note to self, never accept a beverage from Hillary. If she ever offers you anything to drink, you guys, don't take it. This is her, like, this is her thing. This is what she does. That's like villainous rule number one. Spike the drinks. <laughs> Neil was so unhappy about it. He runs and he spits out the drink and the uh, the Hillary is just all of a sudden like, Mwahaha, that's right, I gave you a drink of alcohol when you're a former recovering alcoholic. And the actress kind of lost me in that aftermath. It was so weird because I was connecting with her in the human moment and sometimes in other moments where she's being like the sexy villainess, I'm with her. But there was something about the aftermath of Neil taking that drink that I just, I, she lost me. It was just over the top. She was saying, you know, you want a drink. Why don't you just take it? Take it straight from the bottle. Go ahead. Do it. Do it. And it was, it was so, I don't know. It was not very professional. It just didn't seem, but it, it was enough to get Neil to think, I mean, he was, it threw him off his balance. Neil is a recovering alcoholic, and now he's had the taste of liquor in his mouth. He left the hotel room, and he's now thinking about it. He's got liquor on the brain, and in fact, he goes out for a run with Devon, tells Devon everything that just happened, and he's saying, I can't get the taste out of my mouth. You know, I've, I'm going to have to go to a meeting. So Neil has been knocked off balance by one sip. So, which makes me just worried that that theory about Delia is going to be true. I really, really hope not. Please, no, don't do it, YNR. Just don't do it. But uh, apparently the liquor is very potent stuff for Neil, and it seems like it is going to set him back. Devon ends up going to confront Hillary. He's, this is enough. He's had enough of it. He goes to her hotel room, um, and she is actually in there with Mason making love and Mason is uh, God he's just her her little what do you call it cabana boy or something Devon goes to knock on the door so uh, Mason hides in the bathroom and Devon kind of pushes his way in and He's telling her to stop, you know, why are you doing this? Uh, and Hillary says to him, do you know what it, it's like 
to lose your mother? And I loved it, though, when Devon said to her, uh, yeah, I had a junkie mother who I watched lose her soul to drugs. And then when I finally had a mother who loved me and cared about me, she died tragically. So, yeah, I understand. And I think that whole thing served as a connection point between Devon and Hillary, and I think it's totally calculated on her part. I think her next move is to get involved with Devon. I think that Devon and her are going to end up hooking up. But for now, he, (laughs) fresh off of his inheritance, decides that he's just going to offer her a cool million dollars to leave town. Just take it. Take the money and get out. Go wherever you want. Do whatever you want, but leave us alone She turns him down. Devon leaves. Mason comes out of the bathroom. He's like, why didn't you take that money? Are you insane? And they have a little fight, and they kind of break up. Again, I still, I think Mason, he's not that great of an actor. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But they they had this fight and it felt so contrived. I don't it's not it doesn't feel organic between them. It just it was not good. But I'm sure that Mason is still gonna play an important role in this. I don't know if he's gonna bust her out or what but he says he's done with her Hillary says she doesn't want money I think she's exhausted the whole GC buzz thing so the only possible other scenario I can think of that she would need to do to hurt the winner's family would be to hook up with Devon so I'm guessing that's where this is headed just make sure Devon that when the woman offers you a wine or a soda or a beer or whatever say no Okay, (laughs) my podcast friends, that is everything I can get off of my chest for the week. It's been a big one, (laughs) and I'm enthused. I'm loving the show right now. There's some things that are cheesy and derpy, but there's some things that are really great, and I think there's a lot to look forward to for the future, too. I'm so scared about that Delia thing. Oh, Lord. (laughs) Well, I've blabbed and blabbed on. How about you guys tell me how you're feeling about the show right now? I mean, this Carmine thing is a big deal. So why don't you go ahead and leave me a voicemail? Tell me who you think killed him. What's your theory? My telephone number is area code 309-588-4569. You get like three minutes before the beep, but you can call in and leave more than one message if you want to. Um, You can also go to my website at yrchat.com. You can see the video portion of this podcast there. You can also leave me a comment, talk to other YNR chat people, kind of connect in there to community. Or you can just send me an email to yrchat. uh, No, that's wrong. Sorry, that's my old one. It's (laughs) Allie, A-L-I, at yrchat.com. That's to send me a direct email email. Um, I haven't seen very many new reviews on iTunes lately, so if you guys get a second to hop onto iTunes and drop me a review on this podcast, that's something that I always appreciate and that does help other YNR fans find this podcast. So definitely your support is appreciated there. And everything you do to support is very much appreciated. I love hearing from you guys. It really makes my week and it totally enhances my enjoyment of the show. I hope that this podcast enhances your enjoyment of the show too. So I think that's it. Everybody, I love you. Have a wonderful week and I'll see you next time. Bye.